Samara. Good afternoon, brethren. I thank the Lord for this opportunity to speak before you and ask that he would give me grace to deliver the message in a manner that brings him honor and glory. Amen. I'd like to begin by reading from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12, the first eight verses. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was unhungered, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. Now to the Jewish listeners, Jesus here made an arresting claim. That not only is he greater than the temple, that is of higher importance than the temple and higher than all their religious ceremony designed to keep the people in God's favor, but he is also greater than the Holy Sabbath. Jesus said he is above them both. To the Pharisees, he had already likened himself to God and now declared that God's Sabbath, the holiest institution of the Jewish religion, inviolate and commanded by God in the days of their fathers, is subject to himself. In these, the next few verses, Jesus demonstrates the disdain for the Pharisees because of the manner in which they had defiled the religion, they had defiled the temple, defiled the priesthood, and perverted God's law of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Approximately four days later, Jesus, the Son of God, the light of the world, the King of glory, the Son of Man was betrayed into the hands of sinners. His disciples gone from him, and he was tried by his own people with many false witnesses and then delivered up to the Roman rulers because of envy. Then he was scourged, sentenced to death, beaten, spat upon, mocked, a crown of thorns placed upon his head. He was led bleeding and battered through the streets of Jerusalem the city of his father, the city of peace, to be crucified alongside violent criminals outside the city walls. There, soldiers divided and cast lots for his garments as they waited for him to die. The full force of the tacit support of the Roman authorities, the full force of almost the entire Jewish religious and political leadership, the full force of the people's carnal expectation of an execution spectacle were against him, who had never had an unrighteous thought in his whole existence. Mm -hmm. While on the cross, these sufferings multiplied as the full, unimaginable force and fury of God's wrath 
came against Jesus. All this as he submitted to the will of his Father in heaven. He had spent about 33 years on the earth, rejected by his people, but fully obedient to finish that to which God had appointed him. Now, the very next day, the ones who demanded Jesus' life be taken away would begin observing seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread with acts of worship and celebration and thanksgiving to God for their freedom from bondage under earthly masters. They didn't know their Passover sacrifice had just been fulfilled once and forever. Though the prophecies were in their scriptures, they didn't see God had now made a new covenant of greater glory than the first. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. Their law had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His blood spilled at the cross is the everlasting propitiation for all sins of all mankind. And all men can be free from bondage to the law of sin and death, but most did not see any need to change their ways. Brethren, praise God, we have been given to believe on Jesus Christ and his efficacious death. Paul wrote to Timothy that God will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth ever since the fall, that he might receive from men rightful recognition of his glory, that is, the infinite worth and beauty of all the facets and character of his being in perfect unison, God has wanted to give his righteousness to all his children. But God, righteous in all his ways and holy in his, all his works, could not impute his own righteousness to a sinful mankind. God purposed a remedy to the situation before the foundation of the world and over the next 4,000 years worked his purpose in the earth through his people. God's penalty for all the sins against him would be known and then paid and then all sin removed from his creation at an appointed time, God sent his son into the earth to live as a man and become that penalty for all sin to make atonement in men's behalf and to destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. As it was prophesied, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be their plagues. O grave, I will be their destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. That's in Hosea 13:14, And in Isaiah, in Isaiah it says, He will sh swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. Through his prophets and in Jesus Christ himself, God revealed the Messiah, but his people generally did not heed the prophets. And even when Jesus walked on the earth among his people and was crucified and rose again, they could not in him see their Messiah. Let us take a very brief look at a few of the things God said concerning the appearing of Christ the Messiah. We've heard these this morning, but it's safe to repeat them. God revealed to Isaiah the manner of the one who would come, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. An angel gave promise of his birth to Mary, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. An angel told of his birth, and the angel said unto them, the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. John the Baptist, baptizing Bethabara beyond Jordan, saw Jesus and announced to the world the Messiah's ministry and mission. Behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. God, on two occasions, personally spoke of Jesus' divine sonship. He said, this is my beloved son. Jesus told the Jews, search the scriptures. They are they which testify of me and told them the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And following his resurrection, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded unto the disciples on the road to Emmaus in all the scriptures the things that concern himself. In case any doubt remained in the minds of men, it is written how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees, for as Jonas was in was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And after he arose, Jesus was seen by many, including his 12 disciples, and over 500 people, many of whom were alive at the time Paul wrote these words. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. Brethren, praise God, we have been given to believe yes, what God has desired for all his children since the foundation of the world, mm -hmm. that he be able to share his infinite goodness with them in loving fellowship he once more can do. He, excuse me, uh, he wants, God now and can does through Jesus Christ impute his righteousness to every man that believeth that all might forever declare, praise, and exalt God's glory. So as we come to the, uh, uh, the table of the Lord's Supper this afternoon, our focus is to be on the cross of Christ. Yeah. But many think so much of what the cross means to them personally and so little of what it means to God. Ultimately, God is the reason for the cross. It is the clearest revelation of himself to men and angels. Someone once said, before the cross can be for man's sake, it must be for God's sake. In the mind of the believer, the cross must mean everything to God before Christ's death can have personal meaning for men. It can be seen men too often think of the cross in regard to their own lives, to its impact on themselves. Christ died for us, they say. He died for our salvation. He died for our eternal glory, they say. He died to rescue us from judgment and condemnation. And it is all true. And we believe these things and live our lives accordingly because we believe. But brethren, these things are secondary. Yeah. 
These are a consequence of God's triumphant work at the cross. Yes, they are glorious results of the victorious death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but they are not the primary purpose Jesus submitted to the shame and agony of the cross. Jesus told us often that he came into the world to glorify God, to declare praise and exalt God's glory, including his righteousness before him. I have glorified thee on the earth, Jesus said. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And Jesus spoke of himself when he said, He that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Jesus came seeking the glory only of the one who sent him, never his own, and God seeks only his own glory. As Jesus said, And I seek not mine own glory, there is one that seeketh and judgeth. Everything Jesus did was for God, to the glory of God, and the cross, Jesus' ultimate act of obedience, is the consummate manner in which he glorifies God. Though Christ died that we might be saved, indeed there is no other way. He died first for God. He died to declare and vindicate God's righteousness, to bring glory to his Father. Brethren, we are aware of many men who would persuade you that Jesus came to make easier the life of men on earth, to give them freedom to ask God prayerfully for whatever they desire, and it will be provided. They would persuade you Christ died so that your, your sin is forgiven, even if you continue to live a sinful life. I am here to tell you that Christ did not die on the cross to satisfy a self selfish desire in men, even the desire to be saved. He did not die on the cross because God had purposed to provide to men something beneficial or remedial for their bad behavior. All sin is a despising of God before it is a damage to man. And men are to know that God's passing over former sins without sufficient payment of the penalty was a threat to his righteousness. I will go out on a limb here and suggest to you that a majority of people do not lie awake at night afflicted by the thoughts of the impact of these things. However, Though men cannot possibly justify their salvation by grace, God's desire for his own glory does. Mm -hmm. And Christ died on the cross because a holy and righteous God desires glory. Yeah. And he sent Jesus Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God, for his glory, which accords with his righteousness, finally demanded the penalty be paid in heaven for all the sins of the world that he had overlooked, those that men had committed against him from the beginning of time until the time Jesus returns in glory, and only a completely righteous penalty requiring a completely just payment would be sufficient. And Jesus provided that satisfaction. He made the payment once for all, and God was satisfied by the blood of the sacrifice unto the atonement for all sins. Now, God does not tell us if he had any other alternative for saving men, but we know he had purposed this salvation, that he might receive all glory from before the foundation of the world. And only when men believe on his Son, to whom all power is given, 
in heaven and in earth will they obtain the glorious blessings that he has promised. Our Lord's death glorifies God like no other death. Jesus told Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou goest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death Peter should glorify God. See, John explained here that Jesus' words promised Peter that the manner of Peter's death would glorify God. Yet Peter's death has no redemptive value. It was not efficacious nor transferable, but yet it glorified God. How much more does Christ's death glorify God? It glorifies God infinitely. There is nothing that, God's God, that brings God any greater glory than his son's death. Jesus died to declare God's righteousness and to bring him glory, and he did it by offering to God himself without blemish as the perfect and fully acceptable sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And Jesus must offer himself to God because God required a better sacrifice, as it is written, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And the blood had to be perfect, as Jesus would stand like Moses, God's chosen in the days of the people's idolatry, before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Thus Jesus died as a sacrifice to God, an offering from God unto himself, a sacrifice once for all, eternal, and never needing to be repeated again. And God was pleased, and Christ our Savior is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus' submission was an act of perfect obedience to his Father, yet he was fully persuaded of the joy, both his and his Father's joy, that awaited him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was Jesus' primary mission on earth to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It was his Father's commandment. Of his life, Jesus said, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus did everything the Father commanded him to do. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. And his whole life was one of sacrifice, one of perfect obedience to God, a perfect, unbroken obedience that is the heavenly standard of perfection and which is his faith and righteousness imputed to those who have put on Christ. 
Brethren, at this cross where Christ destroyed the devil, it is where wicked principalities and powers were plundered. It is where Jesus was cursed, that we might be delivered from the curse of the law. It is the place where Jesus was always meant to come to fulfill his promise from God to man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the place where God wrought the greatest victory in all eternity through his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice that after three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, our Lord and Savior rose from the grave to prove, uh, to prove that all men, for all time, that he indeed was an acceptable sacrifice to yeah. God. It is written, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, and through Jesus Christ we have been saved, and we purpose to give our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God. And for this reason also, we have the joy set before us, because now our victory in Jesus Christ, our sins forgiven and freed from the law of sin and death, we can please God and bring him the glory that he desires. And we have joy in the biding hope, the confident expectation that God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven, that is, God reunited with his creation for all time. And now I'd like to say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift of salvation that we did not deserve. We thank you for your unlimited grace that saved us, for it was impossible for us to save ourselves. We praise you and we thank you for the obedience and suffering of your Son, Jesus Christ, who took the shame of the cross upon himself unto death, bore the sins of the world, and you have cast them behind your back. Remove them as far as the east is from the west. Cast them into the depths of the sea and remember them no more. Lord, we thank you and praise you that Jesus' sacrifice made it possible for us to be accepted of you and that we may now be found in your glorious presence. Lord, we anticipate the day you have appointed when you will judge the world in righteousness by your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have ordained. We are confident in your promise because you have given us assurance of his return as you raised him from the dead, which things we believe. And Lord, we confess we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, our fervent desire is to increase in our love of Jesus so that we might know and love you more fully. So we ask for grace for help as we purpose always to keep Jesus' commandments, to show our love for him, to do your will, and to give you all the honor and glory. So, Lord, this morning we have come humbly to your table with a sincere heart, but with words that are inadequate to express our unending love and gratitude for your Son, Jesus Christ. We come now in obedience to be put in remembrance of him that we would never forget his perfect sacrifice and precious blood. And we do show his death until he comes again to take us as his bride. Father, we ask these things of you with honor and thanksgiving. 
In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.